Greetings in the worthy name of the Lord Jesus. It's good to see all of you. It feels almost half like Bible school yet. You've got quite a number of your students here. So we're glad to have you with us today. <clears throat> and thankful for the things that we've been hearing. I, um, I didn't pay attention to which point we were at there in our confession of faith. I was uh, thinking more about what I would share. And when we opened that uh, booklet to that point on uh, the fall of man, I realized that this fits quite well with the things that I'm going to be sharing this morning. Our... uh, Our text today, or our beginning, I shouldn't say text, our starting point today is going to be Hebrews 11, verse 7. I've been uh, developing some messages the last uh, month or two from uh, some of the uh, characters in the Bible, and... uh, using their lives as a uh, kind of a foundation to to bounce from and developing from that point. And today we have Hebrews 11, verse 7, which is Noah. And uh, I did use Noah a few weeks back, but uh, we'll go in a different direction today. All right, why don't we just take a moment and uh, commit our uh, time to the Lord we bow our heads and and pray. <clears throat> Father, we are grateful this day again. We have been blessed. We have the freedom and privilege to gather unhindered uh, by uh, the world around us. We ask again, Father, today a blessing on this assembly and each one present. Father, you again know each of our hearts and our needs and our Challenges and difficulties and victories and whatever else we're facing in life. And today we pray that the scripture could could again be a source of encouragement, comfort, strength, conviction where, where conviction is needed, Lord. Lord, only you in your, by your spirit and through your word is you are able to do those things. And we, we just ask you to minister according to all of our needs. Father, I pray that... Uh, you would give clarity of thought to me, that as I share, that I would share that which you see is needful and profitable. So we commit our time to you, Lord, may your kingdom come, may your will be done in earth, even as it is done in heaven, for we ask in the precious name of Jesus, amen. All right, reading Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. By faith, Noah, being warned of God, of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world, and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. If we would... uh, 
maybe just turn back to Genesis and see, just take a look at Noah's life and the testimony of his life briefly uh, in Genesis. We find that in chapter 6. Genesis 6, verse 13 and 14 says, And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh is come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make thee an ark of gopher wood, rooms shalt thou make in the ark, and shall pitch it within and without. And we're just going to stop there. He gives him the instruction on the detail of how to make the ark. And then when we drop down to verse 22, the last verse of chapter 6, the scripture records this. Thus did Noah, according to all that God commanded him, so did he. I don't know if your uh, mind this morning grasps the powerful truth that that last verse conveys to us. Thus did Noah, according to all that God commanded him, so did he. Just thinking, uh, you know, we're here, we're running our race. I wonder if it, uh, if uh, a... uh, testimony were written of us, uh, would it read the same? Thus did, put your name in there, according to all that God commanded him. Now you might think, well, God didn't give me any commandment. Well, if he, if God didn't give you a commandment to build a boat. Well, yes, and he didn't give you a commandment, but God did give us many commandments. And if we're going to have the same testimony that Noah had, we're going to have to respond the same way Noah did to the instructions of our Lord. So, just looking again a little bit at Noah's response here in Hebrews, uh, God informed, it says in Hebrews that uh, he was warned, God, uh, Noah being warned of God, that that word warned gives the idea of being informed. He was made aware of what was coming. He was made aware that, uh, that uh, the world is going to be destroyed with a flood. And as the next phrase said, being moved with fear, he believed what God said. Uh, he, he had a, he knew God well enough apparently that, uh, that, uh, he, he was moved, he moved with fear. He, he moved, basically, uh, the idea of respect. He, uh, he knew God well enough perhaps to know that when God says something, it will come to pass. 
and his actions indicate that he uh, he believed that. He believed that when God says something, it will come to pass. <clears throat> and God had given him specific instruction as to what he needed to do to save himself and his house. And he he did just that. He did just that. Noah did just what God instructed him to do. I guess the question that we can ask ourselves this morning is, can we be instructed by the example of Noah? Can we allow our hearts to be challenged and instructed by the example that Noah leaves us? I trust that we can. And have been already in uh, in our lives in the past. Not the first time we've looked at these uh, truths in the Bible. You know, have we been warned or instructed by God? And if so, have we moved with fear? Have we responded? Knowing that when God says something, it will come to pass. Let's take a moment and just consider a few areas where God has warned us. And I realize that we could go, we could, we could preach a long time. On a subject like this, but you know, I actually have two whole points this morning. But we'll cover the ground well that we do cover, I trust. <clears throat> I like to, uh, first of all, thinking about some things that God has warned us about, like to uh, turn to Second Timothy chapter 3. Second Timothy three verse thirteen. The scripture says this, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. <clears throat> and if we were to page back to First uh, Timothy chapter four. Just a few pages back, Scripture says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, specifically, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. And we'll just stop there. It gives the uh, the context of what we're wanting to speak about. And uh, the first point I'd like to spend a few moments on is the fact that God does warn us about end-time deceptions. Uh, The Spirit speaks expressly that in the latter days, latter times, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. And, of course, our, uh, our other verse there in... In 2 Timothy 3, 
But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. We also have a scripture, and we'll, let's let's turn over to Second Thessalonians. Chapter 2, this scripture, the context of this scripture in chapter 2 is, uh, the, is Paul correcting the thinking of the, of the believers at uh, Thessalonica concerning the return of Christ. We see that in the very first verse of chapter 2, uh, that they would, uh, we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto Him. Uh, there were obviously different things that were, uh, different ideas that were being promoted back there in their day uh, about the return of Christ, and some of those ideas were that uh, he's uh, come already and, and, and different things like that. But Paul uh, corrects their thinking, and when we drop in, uh, well, verse 3, he says this, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and the man of sin be revealed the son of perdition who opposes and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he as God sitting in the temple sitteth in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. And so he's, uh, he's describing something that's coming in the future. And, he, and uh, then when we drop down just a few verses... Uh, he says, and then shall that wicked be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they received not the love of the truth. Uh, that they might be saved. And for this cause God shall send them strong delusions that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Now that scripture just describes the, the nature of the wicked one that will be revealed in the end times. And I don't, uh, I don't claim to understand all the nature of that, but we want to notice what he is characterized by. He's going to, uh, his working is going to be after that of Satan with all powers, all power and signs and lying wonders with all deceivableness. So very, uh, uh, very great deceptions will uh, uh, surround this uh, man of sin. <clears throat> so the, uh, the scripture warns us that... Uh, God warns us about end time deceptions. That there are going to be, uh, there are going to be a multitude of deceptions taking place in the end times. And, uh, I think, I think it's safe to say that 
we're living in a time when there are multitudes of deceptions. Uh, there are uh, there are all sorts of uh, uh, quote gospels being preached in this day uh, that are are some not even having much of a semblance of the true gospel and have many followers. Uh, uh, there's, uh, you know, if one, I have not studied all those, uh, those, uh, different, uh, things that are out there in our day, but, uh, we know they're there. We know they abound, uh, multitudes of them. And we're more or less wanting to just focus on the fact that it's going to happen, and it is happening. And it's something that we need to be aware that it will happen. And we need to, uh, 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 realize that uh, there, there's really no, uh, there should be a caution. There should be something in our hearts that is cautious in this day that we live in. Cautious about the, the things that we hear and the teachings that uh, uh, come down the uh, pipeline of humanity. Because there's going to be an incredible amount of, of, of deceptions that are going to take place. In, uh, in the end times, and we do see them already. Uh, all sorts of them. And we have been warned that it will happen. And even now is happening. But, we have also been given uh, instruction on how to save ourselves. And that's what we want to probably focus on more than anything. Uh, the, the scripture in Second Thessalonians gives us an idea... Uh, already on where, what the solution is to not being deceived. In verse 10 it says, if you caught it when I was reading it, uh, it talks about all, with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. Why? Because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And then in verse 12, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. And right there uh, hinges uh, one of the uh, uh, greatest safeguards against deception is to love and believe the truth. And of course, we, I trust that we believe that the Word of God is the truth. In the uh, scripture in 1 Timothy, he gave us... Uh, I, I purposely only read verse 13 of chapter 3 of Second Timothy, uh, where it says that evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But verse 14 uh, reads as follows, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Jesus Christ, in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And there is a, there is a, a, a I guess you could say a, a, a powerful anchor point where the, uh, Continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Uh, this was, of course, Paul writing to Timothy. And 
warning him about the the uh, uh, deceivable, uh, de- deceitful teachings that will come, and exhorting him concerning the truth of the Word of God and concerning the lives of those who had taught him the Word of God. And those are both important. And uh, like he says there, as he continues on down through that, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is your, it is your anchor point. That, verse 17, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. In other words, it is everything that you need. You know, one of the biggest, uh, one of the biggest things that opens a person up to deception is when they are not satisfied, uh, have not found a place of satisfaction in their relationship with God. They've not, uh, found a, uh, God to be everything that they need. They have not found the scripture to minister to all uh, every need of their heart, like this verse says, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And when that happens, a person becomes vulnerable. And so along comes this new claim of uh, how, God, how God is moving so mightily and how he's doing such wonderful and great things. And people will swallow up all uh, all those claims, even though if you would search into the background of the beliefs of the people who are who are who are behind the claims, you would find many things that err with the word of God. Why do people so quickly swallow up those things? It's because their own life they've not found a satisfaction in the grace of God. They've not uh, found their rest in the in in God and in his word and in his truth and in in his grace in their lives and it and and they they their their heart is is not anchored and and so it's kind of going here and there and it it immediately latches on to some great claim of fame or emotion or whatever and gets swallowed right up into it irregardless of what might be uh uh yeah what uh, what the uh teachings might be that follow that uh, particular movement. <clears throat> but uh, the solution for us is to find our all in all in the Lord Jesus Christ and in His Word. To f- that when we do realize that there is an unrest in our soul, when we do realize that there is something missing, when we do realize that there is something in us that is not found a rest in God, that we come here and we search until we find it. And that we would look in at the, uh, as he says here, one of the reasons I believe that he lifts up uh, who, uh, to, to Timothy, the, the idea of who he had learned the word from, is that as individuals, we should always, uh, the, the, uh, the life of those who are teaching should, uh, uh, validate the truth, should validate the scriptures. And if the life does not validate, uh, in other words, and that isn't the right word, not validate. Uh, but there, what, I, uh, what I'm trying to say is that their life should um, demonstrate the truth of the scriptures. That's better. Their life should demonstrate the truth of the scriptures and when the life does not demonstrate the truth of the scriptures, there should be red flags. Should be red flags. <clears throat> and uh, the teaching should be, uh, you know, 
probably, uh, if the life does not demonstrate uh, the truth of the scriptures and the teaching, should be uh, probably tossed out, or the movement, or the emotion, or whatever is, is happening. <clears throat> but that's the, uh, and the, 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 the fact of the matter is that this will happen, and there will be many who will be swept away, and be deceived. And will actually follow false uh, teachings and false gospels and false Christs in the uh, in the end times. In the and it's it's now. It's now. <clears throat> How would you uh, feel if I would stand up and tell you today that? Uh, God has no right on the earth. That uh, if God does anything on the earth, he's trespassing. And the only way he can have the, a right on the earth is, is, is we as people ask him to do something. only way he can do something on the earth is if we ask him to do it. So, somebody is sick. God can't heal that person. He doesn't have a right to unless we ask him to do it. And if he does, he, uh, without us asking, then he's trespassing. Would you, uh, would you continue to follow me? I preach a gospel of way. I'm going to lose an audience here. <laughs> well, there are movements like that, or, or I, 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 there is there 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 has there have been people that have. That, that's one point of a, of a, a specific, uh, go, uh, I, I shouldn't even call it a gospel, but a teaching that uh, a particular individual had. And that particular individual, his, his influence has reached into Lancaster County. And his influence had actually reached people who at one point attended Harmony Christian Fellowship. So why do I say that? Because it comes closer than we would sometimes think. Um, I know so little about the individual that I, I, uh, I, I'm not uh, one. I do not use internet, so myself personally, so I don't have the means to uh, search out. I could have probably in a few minutes' time got a lot more information on this particular individual, but uh, that teaches that type of a, uh, a gospel. But he actually. There's, uh, yeah, and I, I think I'll say it for what it's worth. The, uh, you've probably heard of the glory barn already. That term has been used around here some. The folks that uh, that term represents have been disciples of an individual who teaches that type of gospel. And that's just one point. Uh, the folks at the glory barn are known for their, uh, their gospel of, of healing, I'm going to say, going around to sick folks. And, and I know so little about it, but it's one point, and, and I guess the reason I bring it out is because it comes closer home. It's probably one of the closest influences that have come right into our midst just a little bit. And uh, we sometimes tend to think it's way out there somewhere. We tend to think it's, it's uh, over there at that huge liberal church, you know, downtown city. But 
the fingers of these kind of things reach, reach, reach into our lives, reach. Uh, and uh, we, we do well to recognize that these things will come and that uh, we need to be alert. We need to, uh, we need to, uh, like this scripture says, love the truth. Uh, find all of our satisfaction in God and in His Word and and uh, be certain that those who are teaching us or, or should I say it this way, like Paul says here, that uh, to, be, to be very cautious if we, if we find ourselves in a place where we begin to uh, discredit those who are teaching us when in fact they are demonstrating the Word of God to us. You follow that? We should be, we should be alarmed a bit in our hearts if, if, if we begin to discredit those who are teaching us the Word of God when in fact their lives demonstrate the truth of the Scriptures. And that's probably where the first breakdown will come is when uh, you begin to discredit your parents. You begin to discredit your uh, uh, church body and, it's, and, and, and your pastors. Uh, for whatever reason in your heart, you begin to discredit them. Uh, and obviously, if, they, if, there's, if there's sin and there's, there's failure, that, that, that needs to be dealt with. We're not talking about overlooking those things. But when you're in a situation where uh, the Word of God is being lived out by those who, who you live among and... and, and uh, uh, and who teach, have taught you and have instructed you, if you find yourself in a place where your heart is, is discrediting them and you're, uh, you're, uh, yeah, you're, you're, you're making yourself in, uh, quite vulnerable for this type of thing, the end time deception. And so this is uh, given here as a safeguard to continue in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. It's given as a safeguard. It's given as a uh, as a uh, as some as as kind of a pivotal point to which we you know we kind of always have our anchor there and we evaluate everything else that comes our way in light of that pivotal point, the Word of God and those perhaps who have taught us the Word of God. <clears throat> and their uh, life demonstrates the truth of the Word. So God has an answer for the end time deception. He warns us that it's going to happen. But He also gives us an answer as to how to respond to it. And that's, uh, that's where we get the example of Noah. You know, God warned him what was going to happen. God gave him instruction on how to respond and prepare. Noah did it. Noah followed God's instruction. And it, 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 it ended up being the salvation of his house. And uh, I would like to encourage us in the same way. You know, God warns us that it's going to happen. And uh, we don't have to second guess whether it will happen. It will happen. It is happening. But... Uh, he gives us an answer. He gives us instruction on how to respond uh, and how to save ourselves and how to uh, uh, be uh, uh, aware and 
to keep our hearts that we don't uh, slip away in deception. <clears throat> All right. I'm going to leave that point. Go on to our next point. Uh, like to, and I guess it would say this next point probably flows out a little bit out of the first one, but not totally. Though it does have to do with deception. Uh, God warns us, and we'll, let's turn to Galatians. I'll, I'll read our scripture first. Galatians chapter 6. In Galatians 6, Paul, of course, we are familiar, if we're Bible scholars, we're familiar that uh, Galatians 5, the end of the chapter, uh, lists the lusts, uh, the works of the flesh and the fruits of the Spirit. And then chapter 6, Paul seems to, as he's winding down with his letter, he seems to make uh, give some random instructions. Uh, they don't seem to be largely connected. Uh, then in verse, uh, in verse 7, he says this, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. This verse, this, this instruction, I'm going to suppose that it is uh, just backing up, maybe putting just a little bit more punch behind the end of chapter uh, 5 when he gave the, uh, uh, the works of the flesh in contrast to the fruits of the Spirit. And he says, kind of maybe as, a, as, as he's wrapping up his book now, don't be deceived regarding this issue. Uh, realizing that uh, apparently the the potential and the temptation to deceit is very high, and uh, if it was high then, it's probably high now too. So we're going to spend some time to try to examine this matter of uh, of uh, the the uh, reaping of uh, the works uh, of the uh, flesh and of the spirit, and try to take that apart a bit and take a good look at it. You know, if we, uh, as this scripture says, if we, he that soweth to his flesh, he'll reap, but he'll reap corruption. He that soweth to the Spirit, shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. You know, let's just think about corruption just for a moment. We won't spend a lot of time on it, but uh, Peter, you know, what? or maybe we should ask this, is this uh, this reaping? Is it uh, something that we reap in this life, or is it something that the reaping is in eternity? I would suspect it's both. Uh, Peter says in, uh, I believe it's in Second Peter, where he talks about that we are partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lusts. So the uh, the idea of uh, Reaping, is it now, uh, currently, presently, or is it in the future? Is it in eternity? I would suspect it'll be both. Uh, you know, if we sow to the flesh, we'll reap corruption. We'll, we'll reap, uh, uh, we'll reap many a heartache and many a sorrow just in this life alone. 
much less an eternity separated from God. If we sow to the Spirit, we'll reap many a blessing. And many, uh, uh, it'll come back to bless us many times. And an eternity in heaven and in the presence of God. So the, uh, the reaping is both here and now and for all eternity. You know, why does he say, be not deceived? You know, I, uh, I, I think we're all well aware that, that uh, a large portion of the gospel that is preached in our day is more of a gospel of being saved in your sin than being delivered from your sin. It's a gospel that kind of comforts people in their sinful life. A gospel that uh, uh, tells them that, uh, you know, it, you, you kind of live the way you do, and yeah, you, 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 you sin and this and that and the other thing, but uh, the grace of God covers you. You know, the, the blood of God, uh, the blood of Christ, you, you all, it'll all be forgiven in the end. Uh, that's a very watered down and weak gospel is a very, very common gospel in our world. Uh, that uh, it's, it's actually unusual to have a gospel that teaches the deliverance from the power of sin. But we'd like to look at that today. And why it's so important to preach a gospel that delivers from the power of sin. Rather than a gospel that saves you in your sin. And there is a vast difference. <clears throat> in, uh, in 1 John... We'll turn, let's turn there, First John. I'm going to break in, I believe, in chapter, chapter 2, verse 28, and then down through part of chapter 3. And I might try to make a few comments as we go. John says these words in verse 28 of chapter 2, And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Now, we could stop there and ask, okay, what does abide in him mean? It must be important because if we don't abide in him, we're probably going to be ashamed at his coming. So abiding in him is an important term here. Let's read on. If ye know that he is righteous, ye know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. It goes on in chapter 2. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. It doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. That's a a phrase to remember. Every man that has this hope of seeing Christ. 
when he comes. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. And ye know that he was manifest to take away our sin, and in him is no sin. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Little children, let no man deceive you. And here is that word again. Let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. Christ. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this, for this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. <clears throat> All right. I'm going to, um, I think I'll try to at least write just a little bit on the board. We have here, we notice that that, uh, it talks about being born of him in verse 29. Uh, Talks about being born of him. And that uh, also in verse verse, uh, 9 of chapter 3, whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. So, the idea that we get as we read these scriptures, we get this picture that uh, we have the new birth. And maybe for the sake of uh, space, I'll just put an NB for new birth. And if we've been born again and we abide in uh, Christ... According to First John, it uh, it equals righteousness or right living. I run out of space, which uh, you know results in uh, the fruits of the spirit, which in the end equals confidence at His appearing, which is really what we're wanting to see. Is the the new birth? Being born again, abiding in Christ, which results in righteous living, which results, you know, the fruit of the Spirit is the evidence of the, uh, of the uh, righteous uh, living, which in the end results in confidence at His appearing. Now, we have to, uh, we have to agree, I believe, that uh, uh, this scripture is speaking pretty much to all professing Believers, but it's it's actually categorizing them. It's categorizing them in the uh, in the idea of uh, of how we actually walk out that profession. Uh, Whosoever abideth in Him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen Him, neither known Him. The it's, John is saying, whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. 
That's John's analysis of a person who is continuing to live in sin. Now, the personal, the, the individual's analysis of his own life is probably that he's a child of God in this context. But John's analysis is, if he continues in sin, he hasn't seen him and he hasn't known him. And uh, as he says here that, uh, that if... Uh, that we may abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed. So, let's say we have a new birth. And we continue sinning. You have to abbreviate some of these things. Which results in the works of the flesh being uh, largely what's uh, manifest by our lives, which in the end equals ashamed nothing worse than a moving target, is there? Anyway, you can at least uh, get a little bit of an idea. So, the... uh, both, we're going to say both of these individuals are professing a faith in God. And that's what John is addressing. He's addressing the fact that just because you claim to be a child of God doesn't necessarily mean you are if it doesn't hold out to the, uh, the clear teaching of Scripture. Clear teaching of... And uh, so we have the person who claims to have a new birth, continues in sin. The works of the flesh are basically the controlling factor in their lives. And at the end they'll be ashamed at his appearing, is what we get out of this scripture here in 1 John. And we could ask the the question why John is so emphatic about it. He he, he leaves no in-between. He says, whosoever is uh, born of God doth not commit sin. And that, that, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I... I trust that you understand me, but for the sake of clarity, we'll, 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 we'll simply say it this way. You know, it's not that a person never fails. We don't believe in sinless perfection where you, where you just, you never fail. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the, 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 uh, what is driving you? Is it, is it, uh, is it a, an abiding in Christ and an effort to walk with Christ? Or is it, uh, a careless life. I, I got saved back there somewhere and now I just go out and kind of live the way I want to live and the flesh is governing and dictating and, and so on. Uh, and that's the big question. Now, we'd like to go to Romans and uh, define this further. Maybe find out uh, why John is so emphatic about his point in First John. And Romans, I think, will give us... Uh, even more of an understanding why that is. <clears throat> in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, uh, remember our thought of, uh, of uh, you know, being ashamed or having confidence at his uh, appearing and not being ashamed. Notice this verse in Romans 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who 
Walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Now, let me ask you this question. Is it safe to assume, having read this scripture, is it safe to assume that since a person who is walking in the spirit should not, does not need to feel any condemnation, that a person who is walking in the flesh should feel condemnation? I think that would be a safe assumption from this scripture. That if we are walking in the flesh, we should feel condemnation. We should feel like not everything is right. And we'd like to uh, try to uh, describe why that is true and why it's so serious, maybe. The, uh, this scripture here, in Romans, notice in verse 2 then, he's, he says, uh, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. And he's just uh, trying elaborating on this point further. But uh, let's just stop for a moment and consider this uh, uh, law of sin and death that is spoken of here. And this is where we start to get into what we were talking about in the devotional this morning. We have a law described here, and it's called the law of sin and death. If we go back into chapter 7 and begin in verse 14, uh, I'm going to just read down through, and I'd like us to notice a number of different phrases and, and notice and maybe think about how they would uh, uh, chive with that law of sin and death there in verse 2 of chapter 8. Verse 14 of chapter 7, For we know that the law is spiritual, that's the Old Testament law, but I am carnal, sold under sin. What does sold under sin mean? Think about that. Reading on. For that which I do, I allow, for that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not, but what I hate, that do I. If I, if then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now, now then, it is no more I that do it, but, notice this phrase, sin that dwelleth in me. Now, what he was describing there is the, uh, that which I allow not, I do that, what I, for that which I allow, I do, I allow not. He's, he's simply saying that, uh, he, he has an understanding of what he should be doing and how he should be living, but reality is that that's exactly the opposite. He, he doesn't accomplish what he knows he should, and what he knows he shouldn't do, he does. And uh, he's, he's identifying a, a, a key issue here. <clears throat> and he says, now it's no more I, but sin that dwelleth in me. There's that phrase, sin that dwelleth in me. <clears throat> For I know... That in me, that is in my flesh, notice that, in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. So looking within himself, he had no solution to his problem. He had a will that wanted to do good, but how to perform that which he wanted to do, he couldn't find a solution. as, As he's describing it here at this stage. Verse 19, for the good that I would... I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. 
Now, if I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin. Notice this phrase, sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. Notice he calls it a law. I find then a law that when I would do good, I have a desire to do good, but evil is present with me. It overpowers me, my desire to do good. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Let's just stop there for a moment. All right. Down there in verse 2, it talks about this uh, law of sin and death. And what we read down through here in in chapter 7 is describing that law of sin and death. Uh, uh, Just like it says there in uh, verse 23, uh, bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. And so, let's, uh, let's call this the law of sin. And basically, that is, the, is very well described here in these verses. I trust we understand it. Um, it is simply the... And like the, uh, our confession of faith talks about the, uh, the sin that is so natural to man. Uh, that law of sin and death, I have often uh, uh, likened that to the, the law of gravity. You know, if I, uh, if I uh, let this thing go right here, it's not going to stay here. It's going to drop. And we know that. There's a law in effect. It's, you don't see it per se, you can't touch it, you can't get a wrench and adjust it, you, there's, there's, you, you, you can't move it, you can't grab it, there's nothing you can do about it, but the moment I let go, it just, it just goes down. That describes, that is, uh, that is uh, uh, similar to this matter of the law of sin, of sin and death as it's described here in verse 2, and as Paul describes it, talks about bringing me into captivity. Captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members, uh, talks about captivity. That's an important word. Human beings are in captivity to a law. It's a law of sin and death. It's just like the law of gravity has power over everything. Any, anything you drop, you let it go, it goes right down. It's held by that law. Uh, human beings in their unsaved state outside of Jesus Christ are all in captivity to the law of sin and death. They, it just, it's just the way it is. It's a, it's a law that dominates the human race and holds them in its grip. Uh, and when the law, and the Old Testament law, the oracles of God who lifted up such a beautiful standard of holiness, the scripture tells us in verse 3 of, of, of uh, Romans 8 here that what the law, the Old Testament law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. The missing link to the law was this matter, uh, the Old Testament law was this matter of uh, it was weak through the flesh. There was a missing link. 
It informed the man how, to li- how he ought to live. It informed him what the right way is to live to please God, but it did absolutely nothing to free him from this law of sin and death that he was gripped by and that he was in bondage to. And uh, that's where uh, uh, this scripture then says for the, what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. Jesus Christ dealt with this law of sin and death when he came and lived in the same flesh that you and I live in, a body of flesh. And uh, as we know, went uh, through the cross and gave his life at Calvary and shed his blood. He dealt with this law of sin and death that is spoken of here, that Paul was speaking of in uh, chapter 7. When he says, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And if, we, if the gospel stopped right there, we would be of all men most miserable. But it didn't stop there. Uh, and he goes right on and he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And right there is the answer. Uh, Jesus Christ, uh, when he uh, came, he brought a new law in effect. And it's, this law is described in verse 2 of chapter 8. For this, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. So, Jesus brought a new law into effect. It's the uh, spirit and life in Christ. <clears throat> the only way to, uh, in gravity, the only way to get something to stay up here is to defy that law. Somehow or another. The only way to get free from this is to somehow come up with something that will overpower and defy that law of sin and death. And Jesus did that. Just like, uh, you know, birds have done it for all their, uh, all creation, all the time of creation, but men only figured out recently, you know, in, in recent years, years, a hundred years, whatever, I don't know how long they've been flying, but they, it took them a lot of sweat and toil and and hurts and bumps and bruises till they finally figured out how to defy the law of gravity and, and, and live by a new law in aerodynamics. It took them a while, but eventually they did it. And now they've, they're flying all over the world in, uh, because they've figured out a law uh, of aerodynamics that overpowers the law of gravity and they can fly. And that's exactly what Jesus did for us when he uh, came as verse 3 says there of chapter 8, God sending His Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. He, uh, he rendered this law ineffective, powerless, in the life of, life of the individual who will believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. The individual who will put his faith and trust and confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ begins to live by a new law. He's no longer held by the grips of this thing. And if he is, what does 1 John tell us? Not possible. 
You can't profess to be a Christian and still be down here bound by this law of sin and death. It's not possible. And that's why John is so emphatic in his... uh, He says that he that... uh, should turn to it. Let's see. Whosoever bideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. You know, John's right. If your life is still bound in sin and in the flesh, you haven't seen him and you haven't known him. Because those who have seen him and known him are living by a new law. It's the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Are they perfect? No. We know that. They're not perfect. But there's a vast difference between being bound in sins, being a slave of sin, and living a life for Jesus Christ and on, you know, on those occasions, there's that sin and we have to repent. We deal with it. We go on. But there's a vast difference. And uh, uh, it, would be, it would be a sad gospel indeed to, to preach that you can live in sin. You can continue to live bound by this law and still go to heaven. Jesus didn't die. To take people to heaven who are living down in this, uh, by this law of sin and death. He died to deliver them from that law so that they could live in the lo- uh, law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. <clears throat> he brought a new law into effect. And so we can understand why John is so emphatic about it. So we go back to that verse there. In verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And that that verse just kind of lays it apart, you know. Uh, When we have received the Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and we walk in Him, we are walking in a new law. If we are uh, walking, continuing to walk in the flesh, and the flesh is is that which is predominant, it's that which calls our shots, it's that which we, uh, uh, is governing us, then we're in trouble. We're still down there. So, this is a truth that God warns us about. It's a truth. Just like God warned Noah of impending danger, the Scripture warns us also of impending danger. And if we, uh, if we uh, don't respond to that warning, we'll be in trouble. So the question I guess we could ask is, how have we responded or how will we respond if we haven't already responded to the warning? And remember, we started out with the warning that... Uh, If you sow to the flesh, you shall of the flesh reap corruption. If you sow to the Spirit, you shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. uh, uh, We could put corruption on the end here and life everlasting up here. Uh, You know, we are given an opportunity. We are given an opportunity as to 
what we want to uh, uh, govern our lives, uh, what, what, which law we want to govern our lives. And uh, just like that scripture says, uh, if we're sowing to the flesh, we have reason to be alarmed. Because we're not, we haven't experienced what Christ wants for us. So, how have we responded? How will we respond? Will we, like Noah, be moved with fear, realizing that this is a truth that we cannot defy? You know, when the scripture says that if we sow to the flesh, we will of the flesh reap corruption, that is a truth that we cannot defy. We can try. We can we can think that we can, but we can't. In the end, eventually, it'll catch up to us. Eventually, there is a harvest. Eventually, there is a reaping. Whether it's in this life, whether it's in eternity, uh, it'll come. It'll come. So, are we moved with fear like Noah was, realizing that this is a truth we can't deny, can't defy? Are my thoughts after the flesh, or are they after the spirit? Are my attitudes after the flesh, or are they after the spirit? Are my actions after the flesh, or are they after the spirit? Are my decisions after the flesh, or are they after the spirit? Are my words after the flesh, or are they after the spirit? I suppose there's a lot more that we could mention. That's all I had on my list there, but uh, I'd like to again just encourage us with this truth. You know... Jesus has, he has put this new law in effect and it's up to us if we want to enjoy the benefits of it. It's up to us. Hebrews 11 verse 7, by faith Noah being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house by the which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which is by faith. May God add his blessing. Maybe we could, uh, if you're able, let's stand together and just close with prayer. Father, we do come to you again. Thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus who is revealed in your word to us. And thank you for the, uh, the matter of him, Christ, condemning sin in the flesh. And Father, we do desire to uh, live in the reality of that new law, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Do grant us that grace, grant us that uh, strength and wisdom to walk with you in that freedom that you have designed for those who love and follow you. And Father, may that gospel message continue to ring out across the land that others also would experience that freedom and be free 
from that captivity of sin in the flesh and be free to live and walk in the spirit of Christ. So, Father, we do again just commit these few words to you. Would you add your blessing and, and minister to each person according as you understand our needs, Father? Thank you again for your mercy and grace toward us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated.